morning, Preston Woods. Good to see you today. Why don't you stand together? Come on, put your hands together, get the blood flowing. This is where you stir my desperation. And this is where all my striving ceases.
our prayer today. Good morning, Prestonwood. How are you today? You're good. It's good to be in the house of the Lord today. We're so glad that you've chosen to worship with us today. Before we continue in our time of worship, why don't you find somebody around you you have not met yet, introduce yourself, and welcome them. We're really glad that you're here. I 
It's time change Sunday. I'm not quite awake yet, but I am now. Uh, go ahead and take a seat. Great to see you. Welcome to Prestonwood online. You know, it was three years ago today, very briefly, because we never look back, hardly ever look back. We certainly don't live back. But that we were faced with the coronavirus, and one year ago, pardon me, not one year ago, three years ago this Sunday, we... Uh, the world changed, and uh, we were in a season that we had never expected, and a shift, and, uh, but we're grateful that in these past years, we've seen God move in our church, and the return of the church, and the renewal of the church, and even now, threads of revival across America and across the world, and certainly we're thankful at Prestonwood, so we're really glad that you are here, and, and to all of our guests, as well as our members, and Everyone watching us online, we're really glad that you've come. I'm really grateful for you, Prestonwood, for your faithfulness in giving, for your stewardship of your possessions, your time, your talent, your treasure, all that you give and all that you bring in order that we may advance 
the calling of God upon our lives and upon our church. So great to see you and uh, welcome. I know uh, I'm thinking probably the 11 o'clock service is going to be a little bigger than this one. Uh, One thing we're doing, we're just kind of adjusting our time to Easter in that 8 o'clock service on Easter. So some of you may, I know, want to attend the 8 o'clock service. But just singing that battle song right there reminds us that the victory is ours in Christ. And uh, this is one of the reasons, the fact that we are facing challenges and conflicts today that I invited Dr. Erwin Lutzer to come on this particular Sunday and bring God's Word. Dr. Lutzer pastored 36 years at the Moody Church, in uh, the historic Moody Church in Chicago, uh, on the radio, over a thousand outlets, multiple, multiple books that he's written. Uh, we Will Not Be Silenced is one that uh, is a, m- a must read. And this newer one, No Reason to Hide, Standing for Christ in a Collapsing Culture. When you say our culture is collapsing. And he asked the question in the midst of all of this, will you be complicit or will you be complacent or will you be courageous? We want to be courageous in the midst of these days. And uh, Preston Wood, you're going to love the message that Dr. Lutzer brings. He is married to Rebecca uh, and uh, with their family now, eight grandchildren. Dr. Lutzer continues to preach everywhere and write and make an impact on the kingdom of God in the churches uh, where he preaches and ministers. So uh, welcome, uh, Erwin. We're really glad that you are here. So I want us to bow together and pray, and uh, then our choir is going to bring one of our Prestonwood favorites from the Psalm 46. Lord, thank you for the fact that in Jesus, Lord, in you, that we are victors that we are overcomers. And in the midst of so much change and chaos, we're reminded of just the chaos and the craziness of these last three years or so. What the impact upon our culture has been and the escalation of all kinds of problems. And yet we know that you have given us a message and may we be determined by your power, the power of your Holy Spirit to be courageous, not complicit, not compliant, compromising, but rather to stand in love and grace and power in the victory that is ours in Jesus. We pray for those who have gathered with us online and in this room. May you minister through your word and by the fellowship of your people and just the joy of knowing you and serving you uh, together. And as we give and offer our tithes and offerings each week, however we may choose to do that with the mechanisms that we have, Lord, we bring you our lives. We bring you our all with thanksgiving and joy. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen.
it is for me to be here. I so much appreciate the ministry of Preston Wood. I was telling your pastor, Jack, that uh, last week I watched him preach on television, and he was preaching on the two thieves who died with Christ, and I thought how wonderfully and powerfully the gospel of Jesus Christ was presented. 
And because of that, your witness actually goes throughout the whole world, and I want to commend you for that, and also for the music that we've just enjoyed. Now, I have to tell you that um, I, I'd like you to go to our website sometime. In fact, I think they're going to flash it on the screen, moodymedia.org. You know, and there are all kinds of messages there, blogs and so forth, and God willing, I'm going to be leading a cruise in September. You can find all the info there. There's still room for you. Take note of the date when you need to make your decision. But all that on our website, not Moody Church per se, but rather moodymedia.org or moodychurch.org, but you'll be able to find the info there. Now, many of you won't remember this, but I preached here a number of years ago, but I was younger when I was here last time. I know that uh, you can't believe this, but I actually turned 81 years old not too long ago. And um, I have to tell you that the good thing about old age is it doesn't last very long. <laughs> you know, somebody told me the other day that if I were to do exercise, I could add 15 years to my life. And I think that what they said was true because Three weeks ago, I began to exercise, and I already feel 15 years older. <laughs> so with a little bit of help, I'm sure that that is going to increase my lifespan. Now, I need to add that my father lived to 106 and my mother to 103, so maybe I still have a year or two to go. But uh, God bless you. Thank you for the opportunity of being here. Now today, my message is entitled, Strengthen What Remains. Wow. George Orwell said that he played a very mean trick on a wasp. He said he was outside eating, and a wasp landed on his plate and began to eat his jam. And then he said he took a knife and he cut the wasp in half. And he said that uh, the wasp kept eating the jam as if nothing happened. And then he said, not until the wasp decided to fly did he realize the deep trouble he was in. I don't need to tell you, because I know that you're a church that keeps up with contemporary events, that we are in a nation that is in deep trouble. We're living at a time of irrationality when we're expected to believe that 2 plus 2 is equal to 5. Men can have babies. Children are supposed to be able to check out and to choose their gender. It's a time of insanity. It's a time when we cannot win the battle simply because of superior ideas or rationality. And the reason is because we live in a very irrational age. I want to remind you today that evil never retreats unless it is confronted by a superior force. It will never retreat on its own. So with that background, I want to ask you to turn to the book of Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3, where Jesus is speaking to the church at Sardis. Sardis was a great commercial center. It was a place where People had the crossroads of the world at that time. In comparison to other communities, it was a wealthy place. And a number of years ago, Rebecca and I were actually in Turkey, and we visited Sardis along with the other seven churches. And we discovered something very interesting. And of course, this was a third century church. It didn't necessarily go back to the time of Christ. But what we discovered was this. There was a pagan temple that was built right up against a church. Now, there are two different ways that you can interpret that. One way to interpret it is to say this, that, uh, you know, the church wanted to be next to the pagan temple because they said, wherever things are the darkest, that's where we want to be. That's one way to interpret it. But probably the real correct way to interpret it is something different than that. Maybe the church felt at home next to the pagan temple. Maybe you could go worship in church and then take about 
20 or 30 steps and be in the pagan temple with all of its uh, pagan sexuality. And the church began to feel at home in that context. So with that background, I want us to turn, as I mentioned, to the third chapter of the book of uh, Revelation. Now, I have to tell you that to me, I know that many of you have cell phones and jackhammers and all the other things of all the technology. So find it, if it is on your cell phone, find it. And, uh, you know, I know I'm a little older than the rest of you, but I do have to say, if you're under 40, would you look up here for just a moment? This actually is a Bible. This actually is a Bible. But you can find it on your iPad, on your cell phone. If you brought a Bible, I want you to look at this text because it's the words of Jesus and the words of Jesus are incredibly important. I thank you. Did I hear an amen? I must be in Texas because where I come from saying amen in church is illegal. So thank you. Amens are perfectly welcome when I preach, by the way. Now Jesus here is speaking to the church and I want to give the intro and then what we're going to do is we're going to work our way through the passage and then we're going to apply it and your life is going to be changed because you listen to the words of Jesus. Jesus begins in chapter 3 to the church at Sardis. These are the words of the one who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Don't ever think to yourself that there are actually seven spirits of God. What it talks about is the, full, uh, the fullness of the Spirit. For example, in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2, the Bible says that the Messiah will have upon him the spirit of wisdom and knowledge and all of the things, the spirit of strength. And so it's the fullness of the Spirit. Jesus said, these are the words of the one who has the fullness of the Spirit and the seven, the seven stars. And the stars are the angels of the churches. Now, I don't know whether or not uh, Preston Wood has any angels. I don't know if the pastor is an angel. I won't press that too far. I do know that when I was at Moody Church, the pastor was not an angel. But it means messenger. It's probably a reference to the pastor. Maybe it's a reference to a messenger that brought a message. But Jesus said, I'm speaking to you, and I want you to listen carefully to what I have to say. Now, here's what we're going to do together today. We're going to notice that this sermon, this message that Jesus gives to the church at Sardis, comes in three different parts. So if you're taking notes today, as God wants you to, and by the way, there's a young man here, and you're going to take notes, aren't you? Uh, well, you didn't know you were? Well, now you are. <laughs> God will bless you in unpredictable ways. I notice that you do have a pen, and uh, well, your neighbor's giving you a pen, actually. <laughs> but what we're going to do is look at the words of Jesus in three different parts of this letter. Part number one is a rebuke. Part number one is a rebuke. I know, let me read the text here, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. What? Sardis is the church that everybody should attend when they're in town. This is the church with activity. This is the church with outreach. This is the church that is doing good in the community. You have a reputation of being alive. But I have applied the stethoscope, and I can't find a heartbeat. You are dead. Wow. What about this church? Well, it had all that, but what it lacked was the ministry of the Spirit, the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. They probably were not seeing couples who were on the verge of separating, repenting of their sins and getting together. They were not seeing young people converted by the power of God. They, they were going through the motions, but the Spirit of God that was to transform people was not active. 
You know, I have a friend in Germany who attended a handbell concert. And you know how handbells are. They're on a table with a cloth and so forth. And there were people up there doing the handbells. And lo and behold, somebody who was inebriated walked down the aisle, took the cloth that was on the table and pulled it. And of course, the handbells all fell on the floor. And you know what? The music kept going. You have heard of lip sync. This was handbell sync. <laughs> and that's the way church can be. We do it all and it's all well programmed and it's the same thing every Sunday, the same old, the same old, and uh, we get into a routine and what is missing is the power of the Holy Spirit. Now it's interesting that Jesus does not explicitly tell us what was wrong with the church. As we read through the text, we'll discover, he says, I have found your works incomplete. And if we study the history, what we realize is that the real problem in the church at Sardis is the fact that it no longer saw the world as an enemy. So the world had come into the church and was eating the church alive. And today we find the church compromising in so many different ways, and that's some of the things that I've written in some of the books I've written about, but we see compromise doctrinally. What we're finding is that um, there are those who emphasize only the positive aspects of Christianity. The hard edges are ignored, and in other ways there is doctrinal surrender. I have a list here. Morally, morally we find that the church is caving in because of love. They don't understand that love can be evil. You can love evil. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, they didn't stop loving. They just started to love the wrong things. Lovers of pleasure, lovers of money, lovers of self. And we're living in a day and age today when being nice is much more important than being right about anything. So we are pushed into silence. Morally, racially, we've always been working toward racial reconciliation based on scripture. I could preach a whole message on that, but today we have theories that are just tearing that apart. And then of course you have educationally, spoke to somebody who was involved in Christian colleges. He says that young professors can sign a doctrinal statement that indicates verbal inspiration and everything, but they have a different understanding of truth. And sometimes that doesn't come to light until later. And so in all of these ways, and I could go on and list some others, the evangelical church oftentimes is giving the culture whatever it wants, and the world has come into the church, their message is compromised, and they look as if they are alive, but they are dead. That's the rebuke. There's a second part to this letter, and that is, we're going to use the word, the remedy. Now, back in the days when we actually had Bibles, what you can do is, and maybe you can do this online too, I'm not technologically up to date, but there are four different, four different commands of Jesus that he gives the church, and we're going to work our way through them. One is wake up, the other is strengthen what remains, the other is remember what you've received, and then it says repent. That's all in verses 2 and 3. Let's take them one at a time. Wake up! Who's he speaking to? Well, he may be speaking to believers, but otherwise he says you are dead, so it is the unsaved that are dead. And it could be that in this vast audience today and all those who are watching, even by the internet, I'm speaking to many people who think that they are saved, but they are spiritually dead. They've never been regenerated by God. You know, uh, when I used to teach preaching many years ago in a different dispensation, uh, I um, would always take my students to a cemetery and ask them to choose a tombstone so that they could preach to the dead. 
I said, students, if you're going to be a pastor, get used to the idea of preaching to the dead. Jack, have you ever had that happen to you where you say, uh, you can identify here, right? We all as pastors can identify. And only God can raise the dead. But he may be speaking here primarily to Christians, Christians who are asleep. It's amazing how indifferent Christians are in the midst of this cultural moment, in the midst of all of the difficulties, in the midst of the worldliness that their kids are into, they are indifferent and they go along and Jesus lovingly says to them, wake up. Come to grips with reality. And then Jesus goes on to say, strengthen what remains. What does he mean? Well, maybe he means this. If you notice later on in the text, Jesus said this. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will know what hour I will come against you. Jesus coming against the church. For, uh, but you still have a few names in Sardis who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white. So, Maybe what Jesus is referring to is the fact that there still are believers in your congregation who are really walking with God and keeping themselves separate from the world. And so what he's saying is, strengthen what remains and is about to die. I think, I, uh, mean, I think that what he means by that is, take advantage of the people who still walk with God, disciple them, instruct them, because you still have a lot going for you. Whatever remains that is good, strengthen it through your ministries, through your programs. Help people to get back into the Bible, into Scripture. And then the third command is, remember what you've received. What did you receive? Well, you received the gospel. And the gospel isn't just something that happened to you way back then and it's in the past, and you accepted Jesus when you were a little child. Martin Luther was right when he said, I preach the gospel to myself every single day. Every single day we have to be reminded that we are sinners in desperate need of the righteousness of Christ credited to our account. And I appreciate that amen too. Every day we need to recognize that we stand before God, not on the basis of our own righteousness, but His righteousness, and, and every day, do you ever wake up? I mean, obviously you did to get here. Do you ever wake up and not feel very spiritual? That happens to all of us, and what you do is every day you look to Christ to give you His grace, His forgiveness, and His acceptance. So remember the gospel, And then remember the Holy Spirit that you have received who is given to all those who savingly believe. Have we forgotten the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit fills those who are yielded, who ask for His filling. Now all believers have the Holy Spirit, of course, indwelling them, but He may be resident without being president. And I often think that the church today might be like the early church in in uh, the 20th chapter of the book of John. You know, Jesus has been crucified. The disciples are terrified. They know that the authorities are after them. And the Bible says in John chapter 20, the disciples were in the upper room, the doors being locked for fear of the Jews. The disciples were saying, we're not going to get out into this culture We're not going to get out into this atmosphere because the price may be very, very high. So they are, the doors being locked. Much of the church today, the culture is passing by them, but the doors are locked and we're in our little bubble and we're not going to get into any trouble for Jesus. And then suddenly in the midst of the locked doors, Jesus appears. And everything changes. And Jesus said, as he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit, and those disciples went out 
And they spread the word of God and they were willing to pay the consequences of their obedience. And they considered suffering for Jesus an honor. And it was transforming. And what Jesus is saying is, remember, remember what you've received. You've received the gift of the Holy Spirit. And just a few moments ago as we were worshiping, I forget the exact words of the song, but it was about the fact that um, we actually are on the winning side because we fight from the standpoint of the one victory of Jesus. We fight from the standpoint of the fullness of the Spirit. And then there's a fourth command. We're still under the concept of the remedy. The fourth commandment is repent. And many people think, oh, I did that when I accepted Jesus as my Savior way back in Sunday school. God knows how many years ago. Repentance, if I might quote Luther again, is something we should do every day. Because repentance means I say no to myself, I say yes to Christ, I turn from my sin to him. Now if I were to analyze our culture today, I would say that missing both in the world and in the church is the whole concept of a biblical concept of sin. Let's talk about the world first of all and let's mention Karl Marx. Karl Marx believed that people are basically good. The only reason they do evil is because of oppression. Get rid of the capitalists and everybody is going to be so happy and eventually there won't even be any laws because there's not going to be any oppression. So that filters through in our culture and it's in phrases like this. Let's defund the police because after all, the police are oppressors. And let's open the prisons because prison is oppressive. Well, how's that working out? So the world has no concept of the biblical concept of sin, but the same is true of the church. There's all kinds of serpents hidden in our hearts from which we should repent, and we know right well we should repent. Have you ever prayed as David did, search me, O God, and know my heart? Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the everlasting path? There was a woman who came to her pastor and said, Pastor, there's just something spiritually wrong with my life, but I don't know what it is. And the pastor wisely said, why don't you get on your knees and just guess at it? Simple fact is we already know what the issues are. We know the sin that we continue to harbor and enjoy and hide. And to us, to me, to you, to everyone, Jesus says, repent. So now we've talked about the fact that Jesus rebuked the church. He gives them a remedy. But I mentioned to you that there's a third part, and that is the reward for those who do repent. He goes on to say these words, and by the way, what about that? He says, I'll come to you as a thief, and you'll not know. He says, I'm going to come to you quickly, and I'm going to, I'm going to judge you, and things are going to go so wrong. Maybe COVID was a part of that. I don't know. But Jesus said, if you don't wake up, I'm going to come and I'm going to wake you up. And there are some of you here who aren't awake and God is going to bring tragedy into your life so that you wake up. But he says here, yet you still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments and they will walk with me in white for they are worthy. And then now we get to the reward. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments. I will never blot out his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear. Now, Jesus said that if we are conquerors, we'll be clothed in white garments. Obviously, the righteousness of Christ comes immediately to mind. But you know, also in the book of Revelation, it talks about the righteousness of the saints that creates clothed, uh, white clothes. 
So Jesus is saying there's a special reward here to the conquerors, and that special reward is that they will be able to walk with him in white and in light, and they'll receive the robe of righteousness, of course, but also their own works will be brought before them. And then he says most beautifully, and this humbles us, I will confess his name before my Father who is in heaven. I imagine myself standing in the presence of Jesus and Jesus saying, Father, this is Erwin Lutzer, and I redeemed him at high cost. I confess his name before you. And then Jesus said, I'll never blot out his name. The imagery there is they used to have cities, and these cities had gates, and they not only had gates, but they had a list of citizens. And uh, if somebody died, you know, on the roster, they just cross out his name. And Jesus is saying, I'll never cross out the names of those that are mine. There's no evidence that he ever crosses out the name of someone who has savingly believed. That's a whole other story that we could talk about. But Jesus is saying, don't worry. You may die in this life, and you will, because, you know, the statistics on death are very impressive, actually. So you may die in this life, but I'll confess your name before my Father, who is in heaven. What a beautiful thing Jesus gives to the faithful. Now, you're saying, well, Pastor Lutzer, why should our lives be changed forever because we've heard this sermon? What is it? Well, the simple fact is we've had the rebuke, we've had the remedy, we've had the rewards, but who are these people who conquer? I know the King James that all of us used years ago said the overcomers. I kind of like that, but the idea is the same. Those who conquer, who are those? Are all Christians conquerors? In one sense, yes, because if you confess that Jesus is Lord, John says, you've overcome the world. I get that. But I can't believe that every Christian is going to have the same rewards. I actually wrote a book about that years ago, but, uh, you know, it's going to be very different. Not everybody is going to be considered to be a conqueror. There are all kinds of carnal Christians who live for themselves. Who are these conquerors? The conquerors are the ones who fight spiritually because they know that we are in a terrible spiritual battle, terrible that is raging way beyond our political world and all the other things that are going on in our culture. There are spiritual forces, and we cannot counter those without being on our knees, without, without praying against evil, without sometimes entering into demonic territory and saying, this territory belongs here. My children, I will not allow them to be eaten up by the devil and the world. Did you know that um, prosperity has sometimes done what communism couldn't? A few years ago, Rebecca and I were in the Czech Republic, and uh, you know at one time it was called Czechoslovakia when you had two nations that were joined together under communism. And we were having lunch now with the under the Czech Republic a few years ago with a pastor, and he said this, the impact of freedom and prosperity did what communism couldn't do. He said, under communism, Christians met together, they prayed together, and they said, boy, we have to stand against this culture, and this man's losing his job because of faithfulness, and we have to stand with this, these people, and we'll help them out during this difficult time. Well, communism fell about 1990, and um, lo and behold, prosperity became the order of the day. And uh, the pastor said, not only prosperity, but in about in 2010, cell phones arrived. So every teenager now has a cell phone. 
and the parents are expected to clothe the child, to feed the child, but the heart of the child belongs to the world. The younger generation doesn't want to attend church because they are now a part of the culture, and the culture is eating the next generation alive. Because like the church in Sardis, they did not see the world as an enemy. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world, for all that is in the world, the lust of the, and for he who loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For that which is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, it's from the world. The world is passing away in all of its lusts, but he who does the will of God abides forever. No, we do not have pagan temples next to our churches in America, but we do have cell phones. We do have iPads. We do have television with its degrading movies. We have that, and, and the world is eating people for lunch, to repeat what I just said a moment ago. Why should we be thinking about these things? The conqueror, what, what about tomorrow morning when you wake up and you go to work? And whether you go to work or whether you stay home or whether whatever context you find yourself, will you remember this, that the conqueror is somebody who fights against the world from the standpoint of strength. He stands against the satanic influences of the world. He absolutely insists that he will stand and he will not bow, no matter the cost. So tomorrow and today, I want you to think of two things. The conqueror is someone who fights, and then remember this. The only thing that really matters is what matters for all eternity. That's the only thing that really matters. Strengthen what remains. We're going to have a moment of silent prayer, and then I'm going to close in prayer, and then your pastor will be coming up. Would you bow with me? And I want you to pray to God. If God has talked to you, would you talk to God right now? What do you have to say to Him in light of what Jesus said to the church at Sardis? You talk to God. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you might bring deliverance and deep repentance and at least the beginning of repentance in the lives of couples who are contemplating divorce, in the lives of those who are struggling with addictions, hidden sins of long standing. Bring about, O oh God, we ask, the repentance that you seek. Father, we are helpless apart from your intervention and grace. We thank you that Jesus died and we do fight from the standpoint of victory. But it isn't automatic. Make us a prayerful people. And we ask that whatever you have spoken to us about today, give us the grace to follow through this afternoon, tomorrow, and the days ahead. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Dr. Lutzer, for such a powerful message, and now it's my opportunity. Yeah, thank you, sir. And this is a sobering message, but I don't know about you, but it fires me up as well to know that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us, and Christ has given us victory, and we can live in this victory in the power of God's Spirit. But it's so very important that we start where we ended this message today, and that is personal repentance and revival. You know, revival doesn't happen in me anywhere with you, churches, until we begin to repent. 
And so we keep short accounts with God and we make sure that we are in God's Word and allowing the Holy Spirit to convict us and convince us of certain things that we need to remove and then to establish those things which uh, remain. Uh, we always give people an opportunity here at Prestonwood to respond publicly to the gospel. You've heard the gospel today. Uh, Dr. Lutzer shared it, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Christ, that we are not saved by works of our own righteousness, what we have done. We're not saved by church attendance or membership or ordinances. And some heard that word earlier that you are dead. You don't have spiritual life, but life is in Christ who said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. So I'm going to ask that we stand together, everyone standing. And in just a moment, we're going to sing a hymn of decision, invitation, and I'm going to invite you to come forward to profess your faith in Jesus Christ. You know, how are we going to stand in front of the world with a message of hope in life if we can't stand among Christians and profess our faith and declare our faith in Jesus? I know it may be hard to walk down an aisle in a big room like this with so many people, but truly, Christ will give you the strength to do it, and of course, it's the right thing to do and that is to take a stand for Christ and to do it today. So you say, why are you asking me to come forward? Because you need Christ in your life, because you need prayer, because you need encouragement in your faith. I'm inviting you to come. Our pastors are going to be here and upstairs as well. Online, you can just text the number 74788 and the word Jesus, Jesus, J-E-S-U-S -S, to this number, 74788. We're standing by to connect with you, to encourage you as well. But right here in this room, I would ask that every believer be focused and prayerful as we give this invitation. Someone came on the arm of a friend, the invitation of a friend today. You've been thinking about this. You've been talking about it. Now's the time to act. Others, you know Christ, and you want to be in a church like Prestonwood. You want to be in Prestonwood because you believe God is leading you here. And uh, we will receive you as a member this morning, as we receive members. If you've not been baptized as a believer in Christ, the way the New Testament teaches baptism, we'll ask that you be baptized. If you are a baptized believer in Christ, then we'll receive you by transfer of your membership here. But we want you to come and we want you to be a part of this mission and carrying out the message of Christ uh, to the world. So, are you ready to come to make that decision for Christ? Our pastors are here. Our ministers are upstairs. Again, online, 74788. Text Jesus. Let's sing together right now. Come on. Thank you for joining us for worship at Prestonwood. As you heard earlier, if you made a decision for Christ, please text Jesus to 74788. We would love to connect with you and give you these great resources to help you grow in your faith. One is a New Believer's Bible with helpful notes to help you study God's Word. The other is a book by Pastor Jack Graham on the next steps to take as you pursue this new life in Christ. As we close, I'd like to thank you for your faithful giving to support Prestonwood and the work God is doing through our ministries. If you would like to give, text word GIVE to 74788 or visit prestonwood.org give. It's been a joy worshiping with you, and we look forward to seeing you again soon.